by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by Copper Cow Coffee. Pour over Vietnamese coffee. Hey, whenever you get to go back to the break room, be the coolest person in the break room with some pour over coffee. Or impress your children like I do. Dusseldorf and Barbacoa love watching me pour coffee into a thing and then dump that into a pint glass of ice. Uh, yeah, they do. They, they find it fascinating as, as, as much as like when I like make creme brulee with a blowtorch. Uh, Color of Space, Marion Zimmer Bradley. Uh, there's going to be quite a few of them. Should be about seven or eight episodes. And that'll bring us into the first week of January. Hope you're having a good 2022. Wow, it's such a future date. I didn't, I didn't, anyway. Uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. Check out the show notes. Find out how to help support the show. Go to pgttcm.com. Check out everything we have to offer. We're on Apple uh, Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. Check us out. The Colors of Space, Chapter 13. Ring was still bending over Maida's hand when Varangil came into the cabin. He started to speak, then noticed Ring. I might have known, he growled. If there was anything to find out, you'd find it. Shall I go, Reiko Mori? No, stay. You'll find out some way or other. You might as well get it right the first time. But first of all, are you all right, Maida? Her chin went up defiantly. Yes, and why have you lied to us all these years, all of you? Vorongil looked mildly startled. It wasn't exactly a lie. Nine out of ten lorry captains believe it with all their heart, that humans die in warp drive. I wasn't sure myself until I heard the debates in Council City last year. But why? Vorongil sighed. His eyes rested disconcertingly on Bart. I presume you know human history, he said, better than I do. The Lari have never had a war in all written history. Quite frankly, you terrified us. It was decided, on the highest summit levels, that we wouldn't give humans too many chances to find out things we preferred to keep to ourselves. The first few ships to carry Mentorians had carried them without cold sleep, but people forget easily. The truth is buried in the records of those early voyages. As the Mentorians grew more important to us, we began to regret the policy. But by that time, the Mentorians themselves believed it so firmly that when we tried the experiment of carrying them through the shift into warp drive, they died of fear. 
obscure suggestion. I tried it with you, Meta, because I knew Bart's presence would reassure you. The others were given an inert sedative they believed to be cold sleep drug. How are you feeling, Bart? Fine, but wondering what's going to happen. You won't be hurt, Vorongil said quickly. Then, you don't believe me, do you? I don't, sir. David Briscoe did what I did, and he's dead. So are three other men. Men do strange things from fear, men and lhari. Your people, as I said before, have a strange history. It scares us. Can you guarantee that some, at least, of your people wouldn't try to come and take the star drive by force? We left a man on Larillus who thought nothing of killing twenty-four of us. I suppose the captain of the multiphase, knowing he had gravely violated Lhari laws, knowing that Briscoe's report might touch off an intergalactic war between men and Lhari, well, I suppose he felt that half a dozen deaths were better than half a million. I'm not defending him, just explaining, maybe, why he did what he did. Bart lowered his eyes. He had no answer to that. No, you won't be killed. But that's all I can guarantee. My personal feelings have nothing to do with it. You'll have to go to Council Planet with us, and you'll have to be psych-checked there. That is Lari Law, and by treaty with your Federation, it is human law, too. If you know anything dangerous to us, we have a legal right to eliminate those memories before you can be released. Meta smiled at him encouragingly, but Bart shivered. This was almost worse than the thought of death. And the fear grew more oppressive as the ship forged onward toward the homeworld of the Lhari. And it did not lessen when, after they touched down, he was taken from the ship under guard. He had only a glimpse, through dark glasses, of the terrible brilliance of the Lhari sun, dazzling on crystal towers, before he was hustled into a closed surface car. It whisked him away to a building he did not see from the outside. He was taken up by private elevator to a suite of rooms, which might, for all he could tell, have been a suite in a luxury hotel or a lunatic asylum. The walls were translucent, the furniture oddly colored, and so carefully padded that even a homicidal or suicidal person could not have hurt himself or anyone else on it or with it. Food reached him often enough so that he never got hungry, but not often enough to keep him from being bored between meals or from brooding. Two enormous lhari came in to look at him every hour or so, but either they were deaf and dumb, did not understand his dialect of lhari, or were under orders not to speak to him. It was the most frustrating time of his entire voyage. One day, it ended. A lhari and a mentorian came for him and took him down elevators and upstairs, and into a quiet, neutral room where four lhari were gathered. They sat him in a comfortable chair, and the Mentorian interpreter said gently, with apology, Bart Steele, I have been asked to say to you that you will not be physically harmed in any way. This will be much simpler, and will have much less injurious effect on your mind if you cooperate with us. At the same time, 
I have been asked to remind you that resistance is absolutely useless, and if you attempt it, you will only be treated with force rather than with courtesy. Bart sat facing them, shaking with humiliation. The thought of resistance flashed through his mind. Maybe he should make them fight for what they got. At least they'd see that all humans weren't like the Mentorians, to sit quietly and let themselves be brainwashed without a word of protest. He started to spring up, and the hands of his guards tightened, swift and strong, even before his muscles had fully tightened. Bart's head dropped. Cold common sense doused over his brave thoughts. He was uncountable millions of light-years from his own people. He was absolutely alone. Bravery would mean nothing. Submission would mean nothing. Would he be more of a man somehow, if he let his mind be wrecked? All right, he muttered. I won't fight. You show your good sense, the Mentorian said quietly. Give me your left arm, please or, if you are left-handed, your right as you prefer. Deftly, almost painlessly, a needle slid into his arm. Giving in, a dizzying welter of thoughts spun suddenly in his mind. Briscoe, Raynor 1 and Raynor 3, the net between the stars, Ring, Vorongil, Meta, his father. Consciousness slid away. Years later, he never knew whether it was memory or imagination, it seemed to him that he could reach into that patch of gray and dreamless time and fish out questions and answers whole, the faces of Lhari swelling up suddenly in his eyes and shrinking back into interstellar distance, the sting smell of drugs, the sound of unexpected voices, odd reflex pains, cobwebs of patchy memories, that fitted nowhere else into his life so that he supposed they must go here. He only knew that there was a time he did not remember, and then a time when he began to think that there was a such thing as memory, and then a time when he floated without a body, and then another time when the path of every separate nerve in his body seemed to be outlined, a shimmering web in the gray murk. There was a mirror and a face. There were blotchy worms of light, like the star trails of peaking warp drive through the viewport, colors shifting and receding. A green star, the red eye of Antares. Then the peak point faded. His mind began to decelerate and angle slowly down and down into the field of awareness and he became fuzzily aware that he was lying full length on a sort of couch. He shook his head groggily. It hurt. He sat up. That hurt, too. A hand closed gently around his elbow, and he felt the cold edge of a cup against his sore mouth. Take a sip of this. The liquid felt cool on his tongue, evaporating almost before he could swallow. The fumes seemed to mount inside the root of his nose, expanding tremendously inside his head and brain. Abruptly, his head was clear, the last traces of gray fuzz gone. When you are able, the Mentorian said courteously, the High Council will see you. 
Bart blinked. As if exploring a sore tooth with his tongue, his mind sought for memories, but they all seemed clear, marshaled in line. The details, clear and unblurred, of his voyage here. His humiliation and resentment against the lorry. They could have changed my thinking, my attitudes. They could have made me admire or be loyal to the lorry. They didn't. I'm still me. I'm ready now. He got up, reeled, and had to lean on the mentorian. His feet did not seem to touch the ground in quite the right way. After a minute, he could walk steadily and follow the mentorian along a corridor. The mentorian said into a small grill, The Vegan Bartol, alias Bart Steele. And after a moment, a doorway opened. Inside, a room rose, high, domed, vaulted above his head, whitish opalescent, washed with green. For a moment, while his eyes adjusted to the light, he wondered how the lorry saw it. Beyond an expanse of black, glassy floor, he saw a low semicircular table, behind which sat eight lorry. All wore pale robes with high collars that rose stiffly behind their domed heads. All were old, their faces lined with many wrinkles, and seven of the eight were as bald as the hull of the Swiftwing. Under their eyes, he hesitated. Then, unexpectedly, pride stiffened his back. They should have done a better job of brainwashing if they expected him to skulk in like a scared rabbit. He held his head high and moved across the floor step by steady step, trying not to limp or display that he felt tired or sore. You're human. Act proud of it. No one moved until he stood before the semicircle of ancients. Then the youngest, the only one of the eight with some trace of feathery crest on his high gray head, said, Captain Varangil, you identify this person? I do, Varangil said, and Bart saw him seated before the high council. To Bart, the lorry captain seemed a familiar, almost a friendly face. Well, Bart Steele, alias Bartol, son of Barahun, said one of the old lorry, what have you to say for yourself? Bart stood silent, not moving. What could he say that would not reveal how desperately alone, how young and foolish and frightened he felt? All his brave resolutions seemed to drain away before their old gnomish faces. Here, he'd been thinking of himself as a brave spy, a gallant fighter in humanity's cause and whatnot. Now he saw himself for what he was, a reckless boy meddling in affairs too big for him. He lowered his eyes. We have read the transcript of your knowledge, said the old Alari. There is little in it that we do not know. We are not, of course, concerned with human conspiracies unless they endanger Lari lives. The Antares authorities will deal with the man Montano for an unauthorized landing on Larillis in violation of Federation Treaty. He smiled, his gnome's face breaking into a million tiny cracks, like a piece of grey glazed pottery. 
Bartol, or whatever you call yourself, you are a brave young man. I suppose you are afraid we will block your memories, or your ability to speak of them? Bart nodded, gulping. Did the old lhari read his mind? A year ago, we might have done so. Captain Varangil, you will be interested to know that we have discussed this in Council, and your recommendations have been taken. The secret that humans can endure star drive has outlived its usefulness. For good or ill, it is secret no longer. We cannot possibly eliminate all the old records or the enterprising people who hunt them out. The captain who had David Briscoe killed, under the mistaken notion that this would excuse his own negligence in letting Briscoe stow away on his ship, is undergoing psychotherapy and may eventually recover. As for the rest, Bart Steele, you know nothing that is a danger to us. You do not know the coordinates of our world or even in which galaxy it is located. You do not know where we secure the catalyst your people seek. In fact, you know nothing that is not soon to become common knowledge. In view of that, we have decided not to interfere with your memories. Talk as much as you like, added another of the ancients, and may your memories of this voyage help in understanding between the Lari and other human races. Good fortune to you. And he was smiling. There is another side to this, said a third, more sternly and gravely. You have broken a treaty between Lari and man. We have dealt with you as the laws required. Now your own people must do so. You must return with the Swiftwing to the planet where the violation originated. He consulted a memorandum. Procyon Alpha. There, you and the man Raynor III will face charges of unlawful conspiracy to board a Lari ship in violation of intergalactic trade treaties. Captain Varangel, will you be responsible for him? So, I've lost, Bart thought drearily. I didn't even learn anything important enough for them to suppress. There was a strange wounded pride in this. After all his trouble, he was being treated like a little boy who has used a great deal of enterprise and intelligence to rob a cookie cupboard, and for his pains is sent home with the stolen cookie in his hand. Varangil touched his arm. Come, Bartol, he said gently. I'm taking you back to the Swiftwing. I don't have to treat you like a prisoner, do I? Numbly, Bart gave what the old Lhari asked, his word of honor not to attempt escape. Escape? Where to? Or to attempt to enter the drive chamber of the Swiftwing while they were still among Lhari worlds. As they left the council hall, Bart, in a gesture of despair, covered his face with his hands. As he brought them down, he found himself staring at them, transfixed, the fingers looked longer and thinner than he remembered them, but they were his own hands again. The nails seemed faintly thick and ridged, and there was still a faint grayish tinge through the pale flesh color, but they were human hands, unmistakably. 
he felt of his nose and ears with fumbling fingers, raised his hand and touched the very short, crisp hair growing on his newly shaven skull. You fool, said Varangal to the Mentorian in disgust. Why didn't you tell him what the medics had done for him? Easy, Bartol. The old Alari's arm tightened around his shoulder. I thought they told you. Somebody come here and give the youngster a hand. Later, in the small cabin, it had been Rugel's, which was to be his prison during the return voyage of the Swiftwing, he had a chance to study his familiar strange face. He had thought that only a short time, an hour or so, had elapsed between the time he was drugged and the time they took him before the council. Later, from what he learned about the dispatch schedules of the Swiftwing, he realized that he had been kept under sedation for nearly three weeks, while his face and hands healed. As Raynor III had warned, the change was not altogether reversible. Studying his face in the mirror, he could still see a hint of something thin, strange, alien in the set of his features, the nose and chin somewhat too pointed, elfin to be human. His hands would always be too long, too narrow, too supple. For the rest, he looked grim, older. He could never go back to what he had been before he became a lhari. It had left his mark on him forever. Before the Swiftwing lifted, outbound, Arundel came to his cabin. You've seen very little of our world, he said diffidently. I have permission for you to visit the city before we leave Council Spaceport. You think you can trust me? Bart asked bitterly. Varangil said gravely, without humor, The question does not arise. You do not know the coordinates of this world and have no way of finding them. Within those limitations, you are an honored guest here. And if it would give you any pleasure, you are welcome to see as much of Council Planet as time permits. It seemed, through Varangil's kindness, that the old Lhari sensed his bitter defeat. Nothing was to be gained by sulking in his cabin a prisoner. He had an opportunity which no human, except the Mentorians, had ever had, which perhaps no human would ever have again. He might as well take advantage of it. Ring and Maida both seemed startled at his new appearance, but Maida instantly held out her hands, clasping his quickly and warmly. Bart, I wondered what your real face looked like, but I think I'd have known you anyhow. Ring surveyed him wonderingly, shaking his head. Say something, he implored, so I'll know you're Bartol. Bart held out his arm less gray by the day as the drug wore out of his system. The thin line of the scar was still on it. He raised his forefinger lightly to the fine line on Ring's cheek. I couldn't return that now, so let's not get into any more fights. Ring laughed and gave him a rough, affectionate shove. You're Bartol, all right. Even his sense of defeat vanished in wonder as they came out into the great spaceport. He saw now that the lhari spaceports and human worlds were built to create, for the spacemen so far from their native worlds, some feeling of home. 
but everything here was so vast as to stagger the imagination. There were miles and miles of the great ships, lying strewn like pebbles on this monster beachhead into space, bearing the strangeness of a million far-flung stars. Gaped like a child. Above them, the burning brilliance of a star gave strange glow and color to the crystal pylons. What color was the star? He turned to Meta, irritated at his inability to be sure. Meta, what color is this sun? I've been all around the spectrum, and it's not red, blue, green, orange, violet? He broke off, realizing what he had said and what he had seen. An eighth color, he finished anticlimatically. You and your talk of colors, Ring grumbled. I wish I knew what you Mentorians see. It's like trying to imagine seeing a smell or hearing light. Maida laughed. As far as I know, no one's named it. Sometimes we Mentorians call it catalyst color. I think only Mentorians can see it as a separate color. So what? Ring said impatiently. What are we going to do? Chatter about light waves or see the city? Bard acquiesced, trying to sound eager, but a wild excitement was gusting up in him. He dutifully pretended fascination with the towers, the many leveled roads, the giant dams and pylons, but his thoughts were racing. The eighth color. There can't be too many suns of this color, or they'd have named it and known it, and telescopes can find it. Could success be salvaged then at the very edge of failure? Maybe he need not go empty-handed, empty-eyed from the Lhari worlds. They had dismissed him scornfully, stolen cookie in hand, but maybe it would be a bigger cookie than they dreamed. The exhilaration lasted through the tour of the port, through the heavy surge of acceleration which brought them up, out, and away from Council Planet. Bart, confined in Rugel's cabin, hardly felt like a prisoner, his mind busy with schemes. I'll study star maps and spectroscope reports. It lasted almost two days of ship time, and they were readying for acceleration too, before he came figuratively down to Earth. To pick one star out of trillions, and not even in his own galaxy? It would take a lifetime and he didn't even know which of the four or five spiral nebulae in the skies of the human worlds was a Lhari galaxy. A lifetime? A hundred lifetimes wouldn't do it. He might have known. If there had been one chance in the odd billion of his making any such discovery, the Lhari would never have given Varangil permission for the intruder to visit the planet at all. He would have been returned to the Swiftwing as he had been taken from it, by closed car and imprisoned, maybe even drugged, until he was safely back in the human worlds again. He was under parole not to enter the drive chamber, and sure he would be stopped if he attempted it anyhow. But when Acceleration 1 was completed, he went to the viewport in the recreation lounge, and nobody threw him out. He stood long, looking at the unfamiliar galaxy of the Lhari stars, the unknown, 
forever unknowable constellations with their strange shapes. Stars green, gold, topaz, burning blue, sullen red, and the great, strangely colored receding sun of the Lari people, known to them by the melodious name of K. Lero, which meant simply the sun. It was their first home. Where had he seen that color? In that stolen glimpse of the Lari ship landing long ago? Of all the colors of space, this one he would never know. He turned away from the unsolvable riddle of the strange constellations and went to his cabin to dream of the green star Meristem, where he had first plotted known coordinates for a previously unknown world and to wander in baffling nightmares, where he fed jagged, star-colored pieces of hail into the ship's computer, and watched them come out as tiny paper-doll spaceships with the letterhead of eight colors printed neatly across their sides. After the warp-drive shift, Vorongo came to his cabin, this time crisp and businesslike. "'We're back in your galaxy,' he said." among the stars you know. We have no passenger space on the Swiftwing. We had to ship out without replacing Rugel, which means we're short two men. I've no authority to ask this of you, but would you like your old job back for the rest of the voyage? Bart glanced at his human hands. Vorongil shrugged. We've carried Mentorians as full-ranking astrogators. There don't happen to be any on the Swiftwing. There's no law about it. Bart looked the old Lari in the eye. I won't accept Mentorian terms, Vorongil. I wouldn't ask it. You worked your way outward on this run, and the High Council didn't see fit to erase those memories or inhibit them. Why should I? Do you want it or not? Did he want it? Until this moment... Bart had not identified the worst of his pain and defeat, to travel as a passenger, a supercargo, when he had once been part of the Swiftwing. Literally, he ached to be back with it again. I do, Yeko Mori. Very well, Vorongil rapped. See that you turn out next watch. He spun round and walked out. His tone was no longer gently indulgent but sharp and distant. Bart, at first surprised, suddenly understood. Not now a prisoner, a passenger, a guest on the Swiftwing. He was part of the crew again, and Varangil was his captain. The Lari crew were oddly constrained at first, but Rink was the same as always, and before long, they were almost on the old terms. With every watch, it seemed, he was building a bridge between man and Lari. They accepted him. But for what? Something might come in the far future of his acceptance, but he wouldn't get the benefit of it. This would be his only voyage. After this, he'd be chained again, crawling from planet to planet of a single sun. And as warp shift followed warp shift, the Swiftwing retracing the path of her outward crew star by star, Bart said farewell to them. One day at last, he stood at the viewport, watching Procyon Alpha nearing. A year ago, 
frightened, terribly alone, still unsteady on his new lorry muscles and terrified by the monsters that were his shipmates. He had watched these planets spinning away. Poor old Rugel, poor old Baldy. Behind him, Maida came into the lounge. Bart! He turned to face her. It won't be much longer, Maida. Tomorrow, I'll find out what the Federation is going to do to me. Conspiracy unlawfully to board and all the rest of it. Even if I don't go to a prison planet, I'll spend the rest of my life chained down to Vega. It doesn't have to be that way. What other choice is there? He demanded. You're half Mentorian, she said, raising her eager face. Oh, Bart, you love it so. You know you can't bear to give it up. Stay with us. Please stay. Before answering, he looked out the viewport a last time. The clouds of cosmic dust swirled and foamed around the familiar jewels of his own sky. Blue, beloved Vega, burning in the heart of the lyre. Home. When would he go home? He had no home now. Yet his father had left him Vega Interplanet, as well as eight colors and a quest to the stars. He searched for the topaz of Saul, where he had learned astrogation, Procyon, where he had become a Lari, the ruby of Aldebaran, hail and farewell David Briscoe, the bloodstone of Antares, where he had learned fear and the shape of integrity, the colors, the unknowable colors of space, and others, nameless stars, where he and his Lari shipmates had worked and played, and stars he had never seen and would never see, all the endless worlds beyond worlds and stars beyond stars. He took a last longing look at the colors of space, then turned his back on them, deliberately giving them up. He could not pay the price the Mentorians paid. No, Maida, he said huskily. The Mentorian way is one way, but I've had a taste of being one of the masters of space. It's more than most men ever have. Maybe it's more than I deserve. But I can't settle for anything less. Not even if it means losing you. He shut his eyes and stood, head bowed. When he looked up again, he was alone with the stars beyond the viewport, and the lounge was empty. End of chapter 13 Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually. You don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. The Colors of Space 
chapter 14. The low rainbow building of eight colors near the spaceport of Procyon Alpha had not changed, and when Bart went in, as he had done a year ago, it seemed that the same varnished girl was sitting before the same glass desk, neon-edged and brittle, with the same chrome-tinged hair and blue fingernails. She looked at Bart in his lorry clothing, at Maida in her mentorian robe and cloak, at Ring, and her unruffled dignity did not turn a hair. May I help you? she inquired, still not caring. I want to see Raynor One. On what business, please? Tell him, said Bart with immense satisfaction, that his boss is here, Bart Steele, and wants to see him right away. It had a sort of disrupting effect. She seemed to go blurred at the edges. After a minute, blinking carefully, she spoke into the vision screen and reported numbly, Go on up, Mr. Steele. He wasn't expecting a welcome. He said so as the elevator rose. After all, if I'd never come back, he'd doubtless have inherited the whole eight colors line unencumbered. I don't expect he'll be happy to see me but he's the only one I can turn to. The elevator stopped, opened. They stepped out, and a man stepped nervously toward them. For a moment, expecting Raynor One, Bart was deceived. Then, as the man's face spread in a smile of welcome, he stopped in incredulous delight. Raynor Three! In overflowing gladness, Bart hugged him. It was like meeting with the dead he felt as if he had really come home. But, but you remember me, he exclaimed, backing away in amazement. Slowly, the man nodded. His eyes were grave. Yes, I decided it wasn't worth it, Bart, to go on losing everything that meant anything to me, even if it meant I had to give up the stars, never travel again except as a passenger, I couldn't go on being afraid to remember, never knowing the consequences or responsibilities of what I'd done. His sad smile was strangely beautiful. The multi-phase sailed without me. I've been here, hoping against hope that someday I'd know the rest. Associations clicked into place into Bard's mind. The multi-phase. So, Raynor III was the Mentorian who had smuggled David Briscoe off the ship, and whose memories, wrung out by the Lhari captain of that ship, had touched off so many deaths. But he had paid for that, paid many times over. And now, must he pay for this too? Raynor I strode toward them. So, it's really you. I thought it might be a trap, but three wouldn't listen. Word came from Antares that Montano had been arrested and his ship confiscated for illegal landing on Lyrillis. I thought you were probably dead. We sent a boy to do a man's job, Raynor III said, and he came back a man. But tell me, he looked curiously at Ring and Maida. Bart introduced them, adding, I came for help, really. I'm facing charges, and I'm afraid you are too. Raynor One said harshly, A trap, after all, Three. 
He trapped you, and he's led the lorry to you. No, Raynor Three said, or he wouldn't be walking around free and unguarded, and with all his memories intact. Tell me about it, Bart. And when Bart had given a quick narration of the lorry judgment, he nodded slowly. That's all we ever wanted. Don't think you failed, Bart. The horrible part was only the way they were trying to keep it secret. Ring interrupted. Do not judge the lorry by them, Raynor Three. And Raynor Three said in good lorry, I don't, Feathertop. Raynors have been working with lorry since the days of Razon of Nedris. But I wanted an open, official statement of lorry policy, not secret murders by fanatics. I had confidence in the lorry as a people, but not in individuals. What good did it do to know that the Lhari Council in another galaxy would have condemned the murders and manhunts when they were going on in this one day after day? Don't you see, Bart? He continued. You didn't fail. Not if we're going to have the publicity of a test case publicly heard. That means the Lhari are prepared to admit, before our whole galaxy, that humans can survive warp drive without cold sleep. That's all David Briscoe was trying to prove. Or your father either. May they rest in peace. So, whatever happens, we've won. If you two idealists will give me a minute for cold realities, Raynor One said, there's this. Among other things, Bart's not yet of legal age. You may not know this, Bart, but your father appointed me your legal guardian. When I turned you over to three, I'm afraid, I assumed legal responsibility for all the consequences. I ought to have kept you under my supervision. Bart smiled at Raynor One's stern face. I crossed two galaxies and faced the Lhari High Council without you to hold my hand. I can face the Trade Federation. Naturally, I would be responsible for your defense, Raynor One said stiffly. But I don't need a defense, Bart said, turning to Raynor Three and meeting his eyes. I'm going to tell the truth and let it stand. Don't worry, I'll make sure they don't hold you responsible for my actions. Another thing, some lunatic from Capella arrived here and all but accused me of having you murdered. Do you know a Tommy Kendron? Do I know him? Bart interrupted with a joyful yell. Tommy's here? Quick, where do I get in touch with him? An hour later, they were all gathered at Raynor Three's country house. The talk went on far into the night. Tommy wanted to know everything, and both Raynors wanted to know every detail of Bart's year among the Lhari, while Meta and Ring were both curious about how it had begun. Bart tried to forget that the next day might bring trouble, even imprisonment. The Lhari Council had told him to talk as much as he liked about his voyage, and this might be his only chance. When he had finished, Tommy leaned forward and gripped Bart's hand tightly. You make them sound like pretty decent people, he said, looking at Ring. A year ago, if you told me I'd be here with a Lhari spaceman and a bunch of Mentorians, I'd never have believed it. 
Nor I that I would be as friend under a human roof, Ring replied. But a friend to Bart is my friend also. He touched the faint, discolored scars on his brow, saying softly, But for Bart, I would not be here to greet anyone, man or lorry, as friend. So, said Tommy triumphantly, you haven't failed, even if you didn't discover the secret of the eighth color. But a sudden blinding light burst over Bart as Ring moved his hand to the scars. Once again, he searched a cave beneath the green star, where Ring lay unconscious and bleeding, and played his lorry light fearfully over a waterfall of colored minerals. And there was one whose color he could not identify. Red, blue, violet, green, none of these. The color of an unknown star in an unknown galaxy. The shimmer of a landing lorry ship. The color of an unknown element in an unknown fuel. The secret of the eighth color, he said, and stood up, his hands literally shaking in excitement. I'm an idiot! No, don't ask me any questions. I could still be wrong. But even if I go to a prison planet, the eighth color isn't a secret anymore. When the others had gone back to the city, he sat with Raynor III in the room where the latter had told him of his father's death, where he had first seen his terrifying lorry face. They spoke a little, but Raynor III finally asked, are you serious about not wanting a defense, Bart? I was. All I want is a chance to tell my own story in my own way, where everyone will hear me. Raynor III looked at him curiously. There's something you're not telling, Bart. Want to tell me? Bart hesitated, then held out his hand and clasped his kinsman's. Thanks, but no. Raynor III saw his hesitation and chuckled. All right, son. Forget I asked. You've grown up. It was good to sleep in a soft, human-type bed again, to eat breakfast and shave and dress in ordinary human clothing again. But Bart folded his lorry tights and the cloak tenderly, with regret. They were the memory of an experience no one else would ever have. Raynor III let him take the controls as they flew back to the spaceport city, and a little before noon they entered the great crystal pylon that was the headquarters of the Federation Trade Bureau on Procyon Alpha. Men and Lari were moving in the lobby. Among them, Bart saw Varangil, Meta at his side. He smiled at her, received a wan smile in return. Would Varangil feel that Bart had deceived him, betrayed him, when he heard Bart today? In the hearing room, four white-crested lorry sat across from four dignified, well-dressed men, representatives of the Federation of Intergalactic Trade. The space beyond was wholly filled with people, crowded together, and carrying stereo cameras, intercom equipment, the creepy peepee of the on-the-spot space commentator. Mr. Steele, we had hoped to make this a quiet hearing without undue publicity, but we cannot deny the news media the privilege of covering it, 
unless you wish to claim the right to privacy. No, indeed, Bart said clearly. I want them all to hear what I'm going to say. Raynor One came up to the bench. Bart, as your guardian, I advise against it. Some people will call this a publicity stunt. It won't do eight colors any good to admit that men have been spying on the lorry. I want press coverage, Bart repeated stubbornly, and as many star systems on the relay as possible. All right, but I wash my hands of it, Raynor One said angrily. Bart told his story simply. His meeting with the elder Briscoe, his meeting with Raynor One, carefully not implicating Raynor One in the plot, Raynor Three's work in altering his appearance to that of a lorry, and the major events of his cruise on the Swiftwing. When he came to the account of the shift into warp drive, he saw the faces of the press reporters and realized that for them this was the story of the year, or century. Humans can endure star drive. But he went on, not soft-pedaling Montano's attempt to murder, his own choice, the trip to the Lari world. One of the Board of Representatives interrupted testily. What is the point of this lengthy narrative? You can give the story to the newsmen without our official sanction, if you want to make it a heroic epic, young Steele. We have heard sufficient to prove your guilt, and that of Raynor, in the violation of treaty. Nevertheless, I want this official, Bart said. I don't want to be mobbed when they hear that I have the secret of the star drive. The effect was electric. The four lorry sat up. Their white crests twitched. Varangil stared, his gray eyes darkening with fear. One of the lorry leaned forward, shooting the question at him harshly. You did not discover the coordinates of the council planet of Kaliro. You did not discover... I did not, Bart said quietly. I don't know them, and I have no intention of trying to find them. We don't need to go to the Lari Galaxy to find the mineral that generates the warp frequencies, that they call Catalyst A, and that the Mentorians call the Eighth Color. There is a green star called Meristem, and a spectroscopic analysis of that star, I'm sure, will reveal what unknown elements it contains, and perhaps locate other stars with that element. There must be others in our galaxy, but the coordinates of the star Meristem are known to me. Varongil was staring at him, his mouth open. He leaped up and cried out, shaking, But they assured us that among your memories there was nothing of danger to us. Compassionately, gently, Bart said, There wasn't. Not that they knew about Varongil. I didn't realize it myself. I might never have remembered seeing a mineral that was of a color not found in the spectrum. Certainly, a memory like that meant nothing to the Lari medics who emptied out my mind and turned over all my thoughts. You Lari can't see color at all. So, no one but I saw the color of the mineral in the cave. You Lari yourselves don't know that your fuel looks unlike anything else in the universe. 
You never cared to find out how your world looked to your mentorians. So, your medics never questioned my memories of an eighth color. To you, it's just another shade of gray. But under a light strong enough to blind any but Mentorian eyes, it takes on a special color. The conference broke up in disorder, the four Lari clustering together in a furious babble, then hastily leaving the room. Bart stood waiting, feeling empty and cold. Arangil's stare baffled him with unreadable emotion. You fool! You unspeakable young idiot! Raynor One groaned. Why did you blurt it out like that before every news media in the galaxy? Why, we could have had a monopoly on the star drive. Eight colors and Vega interplanet. As he saw the men of the press approaching with their microphones, lights, cameras, and TV equipment, he gripped Bart urgently by the arm. We can still salvage something. Don't talk anymore. Refer them to me. Say, I'm your guardian and your business manager. You can still make something of this. That's just what I don't want to do, Bart replied and broke away from him to approach the newsmen. Yes, certainly. I'll answer all your questions, gentlemen. Raynor One flung up his hands in despair, but over their shoulder he saw the glowing face of Maida and smiled. She, at least, would understand. So would Raynor Three. A page boy touched Bart on the arm. Mr. Steele, he said, you are to appear immediately before the World Council. He was to be asked one question again and again in the days that followed, but his real answer was to Meta and Raynor Three, looking quietly past Raynor One and speaking to the news cameras that would carry his words all over the galaxy to men and Lari. Why didn't I keep it for myself? Because there are always men like Montano, who, in their mistaken pride, will murder and steal for such things. I want this knowledge to be open to all men, to be used for their benefit. There has been too much secrecy already. I want all men to have the stars. He had to tell his story again and again to the hastily summoned representatives of the Galactic Federation. At one point, the delegate from his home star of Vega actually rose and shouted to him, This is treason! You betrayed your home world and the whole human race! Don't you know the Lhari may fight a war over this? Bart remembered Varangil's silent, sad confession of the Lhari fears. No, he said gently, no. There won't be any war unless we start one. The Lhari won't start any war, believe me. But inwardly, he sweated. What would the Lhari do? They had to wait for representatives of the Lhari Council to make the journey from their home galaxy. Meanwhile, they kept Bard in protective custody. There was, of course, no question of sending him to a prison planet. Public opinion would have crucified any government that suggested punishment for the man who had discovered a human world with deposits of Catalyst A. 
Bart could claim an explorer's share, and Raynor One had lost no time in filing that claim on his behalf. But he was lonely and anxious. They had confined him to a set of rooms high in the building overlooking the spaceport. From the balcony, he could see the ships landing and departing. Life went on. Ships came and went. And out there in the vast night of space, the suns and colors flamed and rolled, heedless of the little atoms that traveled and intrigued between them. A night came when the buzzer sounded, and he opened the door to Raynor 1 and Raynor 3. Better turn on your vision screen, Bart. The elder of the Lari Council has arrived with their official decision, and he's going to announce it. Bart waited, anxiously pacing the room, while on the TV screen various dignitaries presented the elder. We are the first race to travel the stars. A bald head, an ancient Lari face seemed like glazed pottery, looked at Bart from the screen and Bart remembered when he had stood before that face, sick with defeat. But now he need not pretend to hold his head erect. We have had a long and triumphant time as masters of the stars, the lorry said. But triumph and power will sicken and stagnate the race which holds them too long unchallenged. We reached this point once before, then a lorry captain, Rezon of Nedrin, abandoned the safe ways of caution, and out of his blind leap in the blind dark came many good things. Trade with the human race, our mentorian allies, a system of mathematics to take the hazards from our star travel. Yet, once again, the lorry had grown cautious and fearful and a young man named Bartol took a blind leap into unknown darkness all alone. Not alone, Bart said as if to himself. It took two men called Briscoe, and my father, and a couple of Raynors, and even a man called Montano, because without that I'd never have decided. Like Raison of Nedrin, like all pioneers, this young man has been cursed by his own people, the very ones who will one day benefit from his daring. He has found his people a firm footing among the stars. It is too late for the lorry to regret that we did not sooner extend you the hand of welcome there. You have climbed, unaided, to join us. For good or ill, we must make room for you. But there is room for all. Competition is the lifeblood of trade, and we face the future without fear, knowing that life still holds many surprises for the living. I say to you, welcome to the stars. Even while Bart stood speechless with the knowledge of success, the door opened again and Bart, turning, cried out in amazement. Tommy! Ring! Maida! Sure, Tommy exclaimed. We've got to celebrate. But Bart stopped, looking past them. Captain Varongil, he said, and went to greet the old lorry. 
I thought you'd hate me, Rieko Mori. The term of respect fell naturally from his lips. I did for a time, Vorongil said quietly. But I remembered the day we stood on Larivis, by the monument. And that you risked, perhaps your life, certainly your eyesight, to save us from death. So, when the Elder asked for my estimate of your people, I gave it. I thought it sounded like you. Bart felt that his happiness was complete. And now, Ring cried, let's celebrate. Meta, you haven't even told him that he's free. But while the party got rolling, Bart wondered, free for what? And after a little while, he went out on the balcony and stood looking down at the spaceport, where the Swiftwing lay in shadow, huge, beloved, renounced. What now, Bartol? Vorongil's quiet voice asked from his elbow. You're famous, notorious. You're going to be rich and a celebrity. I was wishing I could get away until the excitement dies down. Well, said Vorongil, why don't you? The Swiftwing ships out tonight, Bartol, for Antares and beyond. It will be a couple of years before your eight colors can be made over into an interstellar line, and as Raynor One has said to me several times, he'll have to handle all those details, for you're not of age yet. I've been thinking. Now that we, Lari, must share space with your people, you'll need experienced men for your ships. Unless we all want the disasters born of trial and error, we, Lari, had better help you train your men quickly and well. I want you to go back on the Swiftwing with me. Not an apprentice, but representative of eight colors, to act as liaison between men and Lari, at least until your own affairs claim your attention. Behind them, on the balcony, Tommy appeared, making signals to Bart. Say yes! Say yes, Bart! I did! Bart's eyes suddenly filled. Out of defeat, he had won success beyond his greatest hopes. But he did not feel all glad. He felt only a heavy responsibility. Whether good or bad came of the gift he had snatched from the stars would rest in large measure on his own shoulders. He was going back to space to learn the responsibility that went with it. I accept, he said gravely. Oh, boy! Tommy dragged Ring into a sort of war dance of exuberant celebration, pointing at the flaring glow of the spaceport gates. Here, by the grace of the lorry, stands the doorway to all the stars, he quoted. Well, maybe you were here first, but look out, we're coming. A doorway to the stars... Bart had crossed that doorway once, frightened and alone. Dad, if you could only know. The first interstellar ship of eight colors was to bear the name Rupert Steele, but that was years in the future. Now, looking at the Swiftwing, at Ring and Tommy, at Raynor Three and Varangil, who would all be his shipmates in the new world they were building, he felt suddenly very lonely again. 
Come in, Bart. It's your party, Maida said softly, and he felt her hand lying in his. He looked down at the pretty Mentorian girl. She would be with him, too. And suddenly, he knew he would never be lonely again. His arm around Maida, his friends, man and Lari, at his shoulder, he went back to the celebration to plan for the first intergalactic voyage to the stars. The End of The Colors of Space by Marion Zimmer Bradley